Welcome back to another episode of the 730 Interviews. Right now, you can find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Just search We Going In Presents. Right now, joined by producer Audible Doctor. Just produced Black Coffee with his Brown Bag All-Stars crew for Q Unique. Did Made in the Streets, the EP with Fredro Starr. Produced This Is Murder, Not Music for 50 Cent. Battle Cry for Joel Ortiz. He's a member of the Brown Bag All-Stars and a dope MC in his own right. Audible Doctor, man. Always good to catch up with you. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you for having me on. Of course, man. This has to be like our fifth or sixth interview at this point. Yeah, definitely. So congrats on the Black Coffee album with Q Unique. You know, you definitely had a dope hand in making that happen. You know, first off, how did that project even come about with Q? I mean, we we all had known Q uh, through, I think we all met him probably through Fat Beats. Because um, he's Fat Beats alum. He obviously has close affiliations with uh, DJ Eclipse and the whole Fat Beats crew. Um, so we probably met him originally through there and we've just, we've known him over the years for a while and we've for years have been discussing working on something at some point, but the timing was never really right. And, uh, I think he, especially recently, cause he hasn't been doing as much hip hop stuff. He's been doing more rock and, and, you know, like kind of more metal hip hop influenced stuff and been on the road with his band. Um, so he kind of was in a place where I think he started listening to some beats that we had sent him over the years and uh, reached out. I think Element actually reached out to him first and said to, to get him on, because Element was working on the EP at the time and he wanted to get him on, on his EP. And I think that kind of sparked him going through all the beats again. And I guess Q was just in a place where he kind of wanted to uh, dive back into the hip hop world. And it just kind of, you know, evolved from there, really. And that's kind of dicey too, going back to old beats because you don't know what's been taken, what hasn't been, and what's available because you kind of went through a situation like that with 50 Cent and This Is Murder Not Music, I remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And that, and that, that happens all the time where I'll send an artist something and then I'll hear nothing back from them. And then a year later, they'll be like, yo, I recorded this joint and it's already sold or it's on somebody else's project or something. You know, so it's like luckily with Q, two of the joints that ended up on the album were like two beats that I sent him years ago that he reached out and was like, hey, are these still available? And, and 99% of the time it's not. They just happen to still be available. Um, and those are the first couple of joints that we actually did for the project. So with beats like that, if they don't go, I mean, because you've been sitting on it for a couple of years, do you just stop pushing a beat if it doesn't go after a certain amount of time or do you keep pushing it but just in different circles? Like, what do you do with beats that just don't move right away? I... I tend to forget about them, honestly. Um, I'll when I make a beat, I make a lot of beats at a time, and I essentially have like a pool of of active beats or what I consider active beats that I'll try to shop or I'll use for myself or whatever projects I'm working on. I'll, I'll submit them for those projects or whatever. Um, but after a certain amount of time, after people pass on them enough times, I just kind of cycle them out of that active pool, and they just kind of sit in this weird limbo of nothingness until somebody reaches out or until I, you know, I'll go back through old old folders of beats and find stuff that I made years ago. I was like, oh, why didn't I ever use this? Um, so they'll pop back up that way, but a lot of times they just kind of go by the wayside and, and you know, like, there's, I have a lot of beats that are just kind of floating in nothingness because they never got chosen or I never used them and, you know, you just kind of forget them out, about them after a while. So Q records a couple tracks. At what point did you guys decide, hey, let's make this a bigger project? I think it started with, I think Element was the first 
uh, one of Elements Beats was the first one that he recorded to. Um, and that's when he reached out to me and said, are these two beats open still? Let's do, he, and he decided, let's, let's do an EP. Um, so that's when the, the original concept kind of started forming. And then once we had the EP done, I think it was like five or six tracks. Um, it was just, it sounded so good to me and it was so refreshing because it was just like a pure, solid, good hip hop project that I kind of pushed Q and was like, yo, we should, why don't we just do a full album? You know, because I think he has been a little burnt out um, on hip hop just because he had been doing it for so long and it's, it gets repetitive after a while. And I think doing the rock thing was, you know, more interesting to him at the time because he, you know, it was a different experience. It was, you know, he was doing stadium, like he was doing huge tours and um, I think he was a little burned out on just doing the traditional boom bap hip hop thing. But, uh, but when we started working, he got really inspired again and him being inspired inspired me more because I was in a similar place. I was a little burnt out, a little jaded. Um, but seeing him get that excited and listening to what was happening and, and what he was actually and what we were creating just got me more inspired. So I started pushing him saying, like, let's do a whole project. And it just kind of evolved from there. And that's how it ended up being an album instead of an EP. Definitely. And, you know, before we talk about the kind of beats he chose and the vibe of the album, you know, you look at someone like Q Unique and he's had so many different phases of being an artist in the music that he's made. You know, the arsonist music is so different from his Uncle Howie phase with Ill Bill and everything he did there versus Stillwell and all his rock band, uh, his rock stuff that he's done. So when you look at the different styles and just the range that Q Unique has, What's it like approaching an album with an artist of that caliber who has such a diverse range? I, I mean, I think that was a big part of the appeal for all of us, too, because he even said himself, when he started working on these tracks, he approached it in a completely different way, and that's what he liked about it. That's what drew, drew him back to the to more traditional hip-hop sound, is that it, it doesn't sound like any of his his solo stuff or any of the stuff that he had done with Uncle Howie Cats or any of this arsonist stuff. Like it was it's a very different um almost in my in my opinion more mature sound. Um and he was even in like he was insecure about it when he was sending us the records like, yo, are these good? Like he didn't cause it was something that he'd never done before. You know, he could do the like, you know, the shoot 'em up, you know, hardcore rap stuff all day, but this is a more genuine, mature like real approach and and I think that's why it clicked so well because we all were in a place where we weren't trying to just do the same old sound you know and and I think he pulled it off you know better than we could have ever planned it it just kind of happened that way but it, it you know worked out perfectly definitely and was that the intention when you gave him those beats or were those the beats he chose you know how did that vibe for the album really come about it, it it felt like as a listener that it came about in a pretty organic way but that's just my take as a listener not knowing the process behind everything yeah they're really like when we started it there really wasn't a direction um the first couple of songs he recorded just came out that way and then once we heard those records we kind of all knew what the sound was you know it wasn't uh we didn't decide before we started like hey we're gonna go for this angle or this style or this sound but once we heard what he did to the first couple of tracks we're like oh okay and everything clicked and that's kind of just what we created you know no, that's great and how did you guys manage the producer load because you've got yourself you've got element you've got j57 like how did you guys decide who's gonna do what and, and how much you guys are all gonna contribute to the album I don't, we didn't really even break it down 
specifically, and, and Q might have done this intentionally, but um, we basically just all sent tracks. Like, he recorded to L's track first, and I think my two tracks um, were the second two that he did. Um, but when we decided it was going to be a group project like Brown Bag Production with Q rapping, we just all sent him beats that we thought fit that sound, and he just kind of selected what he liked and sent us roughs and... and you know, said, should I change this or, you know, whatever. And we kind of, as a group, figured out, you know, how to piece it together. But as far as the actual production selection, we just sent him stuff that we thought fit that sound. And I don't know if he intentionally chose, because we all pretty much did the same amount. I think, I think they each did three and I did four tracks um, or something like that. It was, it was fairly evenly split. And it may have been Q intentionally doing that, but I'm, I'm honestly not even sure. And what I love about that too is in isolation, I can tell who everyone is in, in Brown Bag All-Stars, but on an album, how cohesive everything sounds. It sounds like it was all meant to be placed where it was. Is that just a reflection of Brown Bag All-Star producers all being on the same page? Or is that Q Unique's beat selection, the way the album was arranged, you know? or or Because that's something I just noticed is how cohesive the album sounds and you can't say, oh, that's definitely Audible Doctor right there. Or, yeah. You know, Am I, am I making sense? Yeah, no, no, it makes total sense. And I, I honestly, we've, I, it's a weird thing with Brown Bag where individually as, as artists and as producers and rappers, we all have very distinct individual sounds when we do our solo projects. But whenever we come together, whether it's vocally on a song or whether it's production-wise for a project or whatever, there's always some kind of weird unity that, that blends really well like it wasn't anything intentional it's not you know it's, it, this isn't something that we're like planning out and, and making sure our sounds match close enough that you know they flow cohesively it just for some reason has always worked that way um, even when you know we were doing brown bag tracks and, and we would record our verses separately when our songs came together it would sound as if we recorded everything and wrote everything in the same room like there's always some kind of weird chemistry that we just have as a unit and it just kind of works out that way. Definitely, yeah. I think I think that's that's great. You know, and and one of the really great features of the album. You know, fans were also telling Q Unique that that's probably their favorite album that he did. And Q was, I know when I talked to him about it, he was very honored by that. What do you think about that? Because he's got such a strong catalog. If you go back to Arsonist, you go back to Vengeance Is Mine. But for fans to say this is the best Q Unique album he's done. And it's something you had a hand in. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's crazy to me. Like that, that blows my mind. Cause I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Um, you know, from everything from the artist to, to all of his solo stuff and for, for the fans to, to love the project that much is, is crazy to me. Like even, and that's what it was when we, when I heard the songs that he was doing and it was just the EP and that's why I was pushing it to be an album. Cause I was like, this is, this is good. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but this is good. This is something that makes me feel good about music again. You know, like, I, I, I've been in a, a jaded place with what's going on in the industry, and, and this project was giving me inspiration and, and happiness in music again. And then for it to be released and have the fans reach out to me, to Q, to L, to J, and everybody, and say the same thing that I was feeling, like, that's just, it's, it's amazing to have, have that confirmation, you know, and to be a part of that project. Definitely. And as a writer, man, I can definitely identify with how you're saying, you know, you can become jaded with the industry and, 
you know, for me, I feel like I've burned out and come back to the game 10 different times. And yeah, exactly. You know, like I know why I'm burning out. Like I could write a book on just why, but yeah. <laughs> you know, the passion for like the, the great stories in hip hop always brings me back. But as a producer, you know, what is it about the industry and the game that is so trying and, and so difficult and that, that leads you to those spaces where you're like feeling burned or just feeling like I need a break? Like, what is it about that, you know, as a producer in 2017 that can be so frustrating? I mean, it's, it's just the same thing that it is in, in every aspect of the industry. It's the the homogenization of the industry, how everything sounds the same, how, you know, you'll, as a producer, you'll shop beats to people and they'll all say, yo, this is cool, but what about that song that sounds like every other song on the radio that I want? You know, like, just the, the, the standard industry crap that you deal with on a daily basis. It's like, how many times can you, you know, put out something that you strongly believe in and have it passed over for some garbage when you know that your value is better than that you know and it's and it's i think everybody goes through that through phases I, I speak to a lot of producers who i look up to and they say the same thing well they'll you know they'll literally get to points where they're like why am i even doing this like this is the industry is so crazy right now what what's the point of continuing to to deal with this crap um it, but it always goes through phases even when i get into places where i know i'm jaded and i'm burnt out and i just like i'm i don't want to do this anymore I know that it's only a matter of time before I get inspired again and I'm, I'm right back in it, you know? Um, and I think every artist, every creative goes through those phases, but it's just, it's it's not an easy industry to, to try to survive and thrive in when there's so much working against you as an independent and creative artist, you know? Definitely. So do you feel like each time you come back with a different perspective, like do you see a shift in the music you're making or do you see like, do Sometimes if you take like a break and we haven't seen your name out for a while, do you feel like you come back a more evolved artist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every every time and I could actually like pinpoint where my breaks are based on my projects. Um, every time I come back there's definitely more maturity, there's definitely a little bit uh, bigger perspective, there's definitely a little bit bigger even sonically sound production wise. Um if you if you look at my projects chronologically you can kind of see the granted there's always that underlying style that i've always had that i love it's what, what draws me to, to boom that hip-hop stuff in the first place but you can see an evolution in all of my projects um and it's the same thing my next project that i'm i'm working on is going to be this it's bigger and and you know broader and and in in my opinion more evolved than anything that i've done yet you know and it's i think that's it's just growing pains you know it's you you get fed up, you get jaded, and then you get inspired again, and you come back and you try to outdo everything you've done before, you know? Right. And I, and I think it's great that you're actually looking at that and not just trying to do the same thing over and over because without naming names, I mean, you can look at a ton of producers who have basically found a niche, stayed in that niche, and yeah. over time, it's like they're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's just not, it's not fresh, it's not exciting, and exactly. it only lasts for so long. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and that's the thing. You have to evolve. You can, you know, you, you can keep your trademark style and or sound and still evolve, you know, and still grow. And you don't have to do the same exact thing over and over again. There's ways to evolve while staying true to what you do and what your sound is, you know. And I think a lot of 
people lose that once they find something that works or that they identify as, as themselves or their their image, then they just run with it and they just, you know, drive it into the ground until nobody cares anymore. Right. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And going back to Black Coffee, you know, when you look at the project as a whole, what are your favorite moments as far as the recording of the album goes and putting this together and working with Q Unique on this? I mean, honestly, um, all of like all all of it was kind of crazy to me. It was just one of those things that, like, each new track that I heard and, and all the roughs and him him being humble enough to come back to us and be like, "What do you guys think?" You know, like, just the whole process of, of him. Uh, being willing to work with us in this capacity in a really hands-on capacity and not because I've, I've worked with a, a, a few who I would consider legendary artists um, and most of the people that have put as much work in as Q has don't necessarily ask the younger dude their opinion they're more like yo this is what it is you know and they do their thing and that's it Q really was like very hands-on and very much like this is a group project we all need input on everything um very very humble and very uh open to anything we had to say about anything so um just just seeing someone that that has you know that much work under your belt and that much you know that many accomplishments to, to still remain that humble and that open to working with younger cats that are essentially his sons in the, in the game um, it was really, really dope, and that was that was really crazy to me. And you know, I'm guessing you, like me, grew up listening to the Arsonists and Onyx, and you've been able to work with guys like that. You know, Fredro, Q Unique. You know, what does that mean to you when you look at yourself being able to work with artists that you came up listening to? It's cr- it it it's crazy to me. It really is crazy. Like, and I know, like in in today's climate, um it might not mean as much to other people as it does to me, but to me, that that's like the wildest. Like I still have, have vivid memories of being in my, my bedroom in my parents' crib back in Wisconsin, listening to these records, you know, and, and like idolizing these people and, you know, not even having any concept of what the music industry is like or, or how it functions or even knowing that I was maybe a part of it at that point. You know, I was just a fan. Uh, I was DJing a little bit. I was making little beats here and there and stuff, but I wasn't even, you know, the idea that this could be a lifestyle didn't even really enter my mind at that point. And, you know, fast forward to now to be working with these people and, and you know, actually releasing projects with them is like, it's, it still blows my mind that I've been able to accomplish that. No, I, I definitely hear that. And going off of that, you know, I was going through my old interviews as I'm putting together my next book of interview, you know, the compilation of interviews words yeah. part two, and I came across the large pro interview that's going to be in there. And he's shouting out audible doctor. Now we did this interview probably 2009, 2010, and he's shouting out audible doctor as someone that has caught his ear, someone that people need to be paying attention to. What does it mean for even back then when you look at like early audible doctor before all the, even the Joel Ortiz track happened before the Brown bag all-stars really took off that someone of large pros caliber is saying, hey, this is somebody that people should be listening to. Because you were the only up-and-coming producer at the time mixed in with all of with all veterans. Yeah, he... he, And that's, that's one of the things that I kind of learned um, coming up through Fat Beats and kind of learning from the veterans. Like, 
that when when I signed because he didn't even I had no communication with him I before that happened like I remember uh, Marco Polo came in Fat Beats one day and was like yo Large Pro shouted you out on Hot 97 last night and I was like what and he was like yeah yeah he was on Rosenberg show he shouted you out and I was like what are you talking about and then uh, Michael Rappaport he was filming the Tribe documentary and he interviewed Large Pro and he's like yeah yeah Large Pro shouted you out in the interview and I was like what <laughs> and I hadn't even like I had met Large Pro once and I handed him my beat CD, and that was literally it. Um, and I have the utmost respect. Like, obviously, he's one of the you know my, the legends that I grew up listening to, and, and and you know, like learning production from as far as listening to what he does and, and kind of modeling myself after it early on. Um, but that's one of the things that I learned about kind of coming up through that Fat Beats era is that the real legends don't care about the politics and they don't care the networking if they like what you do they'll support it you know like large pro is like that if he likes what you do doesn't matter who you are he'll support it like dj eclipse if he likes what you do doesn't matter who you are he'll support it dj premier if he likes what you do it doesn't matter who you are he'll support it um and that kind of just taught me like it kind of gave me confirmation that before and work ethic and, and honing your craft and, and your skill and your talent comes before anything else. The industry is all networking and and politics, but if you continue to focus on your craft, you'll be able to, to crack through no matter what. Right. And do you feel it's that way today? Because I've talked to a lot of artists, and just when I pay attention to what gets posted on sites and what doesn't, what labels mess with, what they don't, you know, a lot more feels like it's who you know than what you are. And I mean, I came up, you know, in the hip-hop game era where we really did post what we liked, but we were one of the rare sites. I mean, there were other sites that were taking payola under the table and they would never admit it now, but, yeah. you know, I know of it happening. So, do you feel like it's more so now who you know than it was back then? No, no, I think it's always been that way. It's always been who you know is always a, a, a part of success if you want to go that route. Um, there's, There's... In my mind, there's two routes to success. There's the who you know route, which will get you on quicker and possibly bigger. But there's the show your work route that maybe if you're not a household name, everybody in the industry still knows who you are. And the people that that look for quality material know who you are. And that route is slower, but there's way more long, much more longevity in that route. Um, and I think a lot of artists, especially quote unquote underground artists, fight that battle every day of like, should I just make some stupid stuff and just talk to the right people and just get it out? Or should I continue to make something that I love that I, that I know is, is better and potentially, you know, take far longer or, or not even make it. Um, and that idea of, the, the you know show your work really kept me on the same path that I'm on you know and you know it could be said either way you can definitely network and politic your way to a good place in the industry but it never lasts long it only lasts as long as you're relevant and as long as people need you you know if your work is good and you continue to put out good products then you'll never not be in demand right and you're definitely taking the slow route you know in, in terms of 
doing it the right way and not just making 20 trap beats a day because you can and you know giving them out to whoever do you have any regrets yeah. over the route that you've taken and have you passed up any opportunities that might have been away from what your goals are but would have gotten you in a spotlight quicker I don't I definitely don't regret anything um because at the end of the day I still have this weird uh and it, it, it is probably to my detriment but like I have this weird high school backpacker mentality where I kind of set these weird rules for myself that don't really apply to today's industry but I still kind of hold on to them like as far as like I still won't really sample anything that's you know any later than the 80s like I still have these weird little rules that I just kind of made up for myself and I'm like yo it's whack you sample something from the 90s um and on occasion I'll break them for like random things I'll sample some new stuff just on, on some random stuff but like I have all these weird little backpacker rules, like, yo, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I, 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 I do do some, because I do a lot of licensing stuff. So I will break rules as far as my sound for licensing, um, but it's only because it's not tied directly to my uh, brand, for lack of a better term. Um, like when I put something up that says Audible Doctor on it, I want it to be of certain quality that my high school self would approve of. Um, and that's just like a weird little thing that I have going on. I have no regrets about going that route. I, I, I've always said this, like I want my brand to be something that you can look at and know that you're getting quality music, you know, and know that you're getting something that's solid. Like the same way you can be like, oh, this track's produced by DJ Premier, you know it's going to be quality. You know you know it's not going to be some like weird trap, you know, nonsense that's just current sounding. It, there's going to be some kind of quality to it just based on the fact that he's involved with it. Um, and I would much rather have that than a quick check that will, you know, burn out the next day. No, I definitely hear that. Do you think high school Audible Doctor would be proud of who you are today? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always, I, I've said this before too. Like, if my high school self could see who I've worked with, he would, he would crap his pants. He'd be like, "Yo, how did you like just the 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 artists that I grew up listening to, and the artists that I've worked with so far to date? Like, I would, yes, I would definitely be proud of myself." And what are the rules do you have for yourself, man? Because that's really interesting. Because I, I've never heard that before from artists. You know. So, so you don't sample anything from the '90s or current. Yeah, yeah. I have, I do do. I have done it on occasion, but for, for very specific. Like somebody will hit me and say, "Hey, can you sample this new joint for me?" And it's like one of my homies, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do that." But as far as me making beats for myself, one of the rules is that it. I don't even really like '80s in general, but it has to be like mid to early '80s at the latest. Um, and then it's more just like a matter of. of I don't even know how to describe it. Like, there's certain sounds that I'll kind of refuse to, to, to use. Um, and they're stupid. It's stupid ideas based on my high school self that hated when hip-hop started changing and becoming more, uh, I guess, blingy and jiggy, for lack of a better term. Um, I was so anti, I was so underground backpack, so anti-commercial everything at that stage 
and I've obviously evolved. Like I love pop music now. I love a lot of, I, there's a lot of trap stuff that I really enjoy, honestly, if we're going to be totally honest. Um, but there's still weird little rules that I won't allow myself to make it. You know, I'll enjoy it, but I won't allow myself to create it because I still feel like I'm betraying myself in some way. I can remember high school me went through such a serious underground phase where if it wasn't like completely 100% backpack granola underground, like yeah. I didn't want to hear it. Like, you know, I, I remember get, uh, I was on Audio Galaxy and, you know, downloading music from like the living legends out, out in the Bay yep. Area. Um, like yep. nobody could tell me anything about Merce or Grouch. Like they were the nicest. Um, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Immortal Technique Revolutionary Volume 1 like I was up on that before anybody knew who he was um, yep. in my area it's like but like that's all I rolled around with like I had even you know DMX was too commercial even though like yep. I loved yeah. it but it was like I went through that phase where it's like nope it's, it's nothing but underground man um, it exactly. sounds like you, yeah. you went through something similar to that yeah and that those, those were like my I guess that was like the beginning of my production and rapping years and I think that's why I kind of stuck with it because I kind of learned um, producing and, and trying to put songs together when I was in that phase so there's certain things that I just kind of won't and, and, and part of it is that and part of it is the fact that I, I feel like I could always do better um, and it's it's harmful in the way that it holds up things because I will, I'm not a perfectionist perfectionist, but I will hold up projects because I know I can do it better. Um, but while that does delay and hold up projects, it also makes sure that the quality of something that I actually release is, is going to be on point. And, and it's interesting too, when you start to come out of that phase, like I remember one of the first albums when I was really coming out of that phase was The Diplomats, Diplomatic Community. And then a couple years later, you know, Jeezy, Rick Ross hit, and it's like, man, this is really banging. Yeah. Like, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't just listen to the Super Underground anymore. Like, do you remember coming out of that phase? I do, and I came out of it late. Um, like, even during the whole Dipset movement, I was still a little, because I, I mean, remember, I was at Fat Beats through a lot of that. Like, I was at Fat Beats from 2000 maybe till when they closed in 2010 so like even after I remember thinking when Equemini came out I was like yo Outcast sold out <laughs> <laughs> wow like that's how like underground I was like I was like yo Outcast sold out man <laughs> that was Equemini like that wasn't even anything crazy um, <laughs> it was just different it was just bigger sounding and different you know and like uh yeah, I, I kind of, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I kind of started evolving and like now I, I straight up listen to pop music, like I like like EDM pop stuff, um, but, and then now I have like, I go back and listen to the dish, that, that stuff and I'm like, yo, how did I not love this? Like, how, you know, like, yeah. as, as a little, being a little bit more mature, it's easier to go back and be like, what was I thinking? Like, that, you know, this shit is dope. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely... I'm definitely out of that phase now, but still, you know, and you'll see even in my newer production, you'll hear it, it is definitely evolving, but it still kind of has that foundation um, of like traditional boom bap underneath everything. And it's interesting you bring up Fat Beats because anytime I went there, you know, I, I never lived in New York. I was always in Virginia and, but I would always make a point to go to Fat Beats if I was in the city. 
and just cop some of the new music and you know just it, like going to fat people something you had to do and you know yeah say, say what's up to percy p if he was out there and, yep. yeah. and everything because Percy and i were cool so it's like it was, it was always good to see him and i knew that's where i could find him um if i was meeting up with an artist for a hip-hop game interview it was hey meet me outside fat beats because we both knew where that was and yeah but going inside fat beats too man like you know if you it was always kind of judgy. I'm not gonna lie. Like if you went in and you're like, "Hey, do you got that new J.R. Ryder mixtape?" Like you just kind of got that feeling. Like, yeah. You're you're about to get judged pretty hard. It's it's crazy because when I was in that environment, um, I didn't know that we did that. Like I wasn't aware that we did that. But I've heard from so many people that we were these like purest underground elitist, you know, hip hop kids that like would. You know, judge anybody that came in looking for something remotely not underground boom back. Like, and looking back, I see it. Like, I under, I see it now. And and a lot of people thought I was like a real jerk just from part of it was being burnt out, working, being in there every single day. Um, but but yeah, like looking back, I can totally see that. But at the time, I didn't realize it at all. And I don't think any of us really did. Like, there's a certain there was a certain standard that was set by the that had come before you in that place and it was kind of your job to uphold that standard um and to us it was kind of keeping it was like one of the last places that had that kind of traditional view of new york hip-hop and you know to us it was kind of upholding this standard but i think to a lot of other people it just seemed like we were just shitting on everybody (laughs) right yeah but at the same time I can see the point for why that's important and why that needs to be because there does need to be some standards and people do need to be held accountable. So like on another level, that is really important that it's there because I feel like any good music store I've been in, the people behind the counter, if they're not knowledgeable, like I don't feel comfortable asking for a recommendation or saying, hey, what are you listening to? So like on another level, it is good to know that the people behind the counter feel passionate about the music they're selling and are actually knowledgeable and they're not just kids that are working there because they applied and got it i mean and, and that's what it was like there was you know you started as an intern and you had to work your way up to get behind that that register and and, and that was basically the the proving ground like you had to pay your dues you had to learn everything you had to study essentially um to get to that point and and once you were behind that counter anybody that came to that door assumed you were an expert on hip-hop like that's that's you know you had to learn quick like that's how people viewed you um even even like well-known people like and producers and artists would come in and they would look to you for what's the new you know hot hot record you know that that is in that style in that sound and you kind of have to always have your ear to the street and always kind of be an authority in, in that way um it was a white and it was a wild place and it was you know there's no place like that in new york anymore and i feel like the community has suffered greatly because of it you know there's no unity out here anymore there's no rules anymore you know there's no authority figure there's no central place and it wasn't just that because there were other places obviously too but but i think that's part of the issue with the current state of music is it's it's great because it's very free anybody can do anything they want but there's also no there's no rules there's no regulations there's no kind of unity because there's no central authority figure anymore right and when you look at even online now you look at underground hip-hop 
hop. You know, Quest wrote that letter. You know, we got to close our doors. We're not making any money. Yeah. And then Icon, the Mike King, and a couple other guys came aboard, said, you know, let's resurrect this. We can do it differently. We can do it better. And underground hip hop is going into kind of a renaissance at this point, a new life. You know, what yeah. do you think of? First off, the, the letter that Quest wrote and, and saying we have to close our doors because, you know, what Fat Beats is to New York City, you know, underground hip hop really is to the internet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where, that's where I, you know, I've been. I mean, I buy records at FatBeats.com still too, but like, I I go to underground hip hop to, to see what all the new stuff is. I still order stuff from them. Um, and it and it was like when I first saw that they were closing, I was like. It actually really hurt me. A because I lived through this with Fatness. I saw the stores close, um, and I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. You know, to have something that you love and something that you work at every day go under because there's just not the support that there should be. You know, and then B seeing the outpouring of love from people once you say you're closing is like a, a, a twist of the knife. You know, then right. um, I went I went through that whole thing with Fatness. It was like you know, people weren't supporting enough. We couldn't keep the doors open. We closed. The second we announced we're closing, everybody comes out of the woodwork like, oh no, you know, and and it, it's it's frustrating. And, and I saw that happen with UGHH when they first announced. And I was like, it, it, it hurt me because I, you know, I was reliving that moment that I had been through. Um, but then to see that they were reopening, I was just like, that was, that was one of the few you know, very happy silver lining moments in that, you know, the last year, two years <laughs> that I've seen happen. You know, that was one of the few things that I was like, I was actually very proud of. Um, not that I had anything to do with it, but like just to see that happen and see that there is a sense of community and there is a sense of people that want to support and, and you know, help something that they hold dear and, and see that actually turn around that quickly specifically um it was it was dope it was really dope to see that yeah that's great and do you feel like a site like ugh can survive in this era in this climate i mean fatbeats.com is doing it and you know, there's a couple other other sites that are able to sell music online these days and compete with the amazons and itunes and spotify you know, do you see them being successful? Is that possible? Well, that was the thing when I when they announced that they were, you know, relaunching. My first thought was, you know, that's amazing, that's awesome, I'm so happy for them. But my second thought that immediately came after was, well, what are you guys going? How are you going to restructure this so it, it it makes more sense financially? Like, what, you know, you know, what the issues were and what, what the, where the downfall came from, but do you have a clear-cut plan to restructure? Or, or cause if, if you did, then why would you have closed in the first place? You know, like, I can't imagine something that, and I don't know anything, I don't know what their plans are, I don't know specifically what they intend on doing to expand the business, or, or you know, if, I, if they intend to transition to something a little bit different. But, um, but you know, it... It's a lifeline, but how long is it going to last if something doesn't change dramatically? Um, and that's, I'm just curious, because I know nothing about the business side of how they run their business. Um, I'm curious how it's going to pan out, you know? Because, like, Fat Beats is a very, 
it's the company's set up well in the sense that they're, and I don't need to say too much about how they work, so I don't know how much they want, but their distribution as well as the online sales. So they're not supported solely from selling records on the website. You know, they have deals with labels and, and distribution deals where they're distributing records all over the world, and that's part of what keeps the company afloat. As far as UGHH, I'm not sure how their business side is, so I don't know if it's as conducive to doing that. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean, because I was just talking to an artist the other day that's working on a deal with Fat Beats for an album, so that side of things, getting into the business of putting out records, makes them much more unique. It makes them, you know, that, that's a huge avenue to be able to, to sell and to, to, to market artists and do everything that way. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, just looking at your, your production process, you know, we already talked about what samples you're going you're gonna to look for and, and what, what is already off the table. You know, how do you dig today? Where, how do you get the samples? Do, is it mostly online or do you still go to record stores? And where, where do those AD samples come from? It's a combination. I do, and that was one of the other rules that I broke. I used to never sample anything that wasn't vinyl. Um, and I've recently broken that rule, but that was one of my little backpacker rules that I had to break. Um, but it's a combination now. I still dig for records every once in a while. I don't do it as much as I used to. I have a ridiculous collection of records that I haven't worked my way through yet. So a lot of it is literally going through records that I've had for years that I've never listened to. <laughs> um, I have thousands of records in boxes right now in my living room and I'm actually sorting. Um, but yeah, I dig online as well. I do the same thing. I have, uh, I have a couple of people that will send me stuff. I, I dig online. I don't do a lot of YouTube ripping just because the quality tends to, to suck. But um, I'll try to seek out albums by artists and, and you can find stuff online fairly easily. Um, and yeah, it's a combination of things nowadays. And what's that process like once you get the sample you like? How does that sample turn into a song? It's completely different every single time. Um, <laughs> like it's 99% of the time I start with the sample and I just start chopping parts of the song that I like out and not in the sense of like, I like this hook or I like this verse or I like this bridge, which literally in the sense of like, this sound sounds cool or like this random part where the guitar hits and there's a background vocal going, eh, like that sounds cool. And I'll just, you know, without even thinking about how it's gonna come together, just start chopping out every little piece that sounds cool. And, um, and then once I have all my little pieces, I'll just start trying to piece it together into something that sounds rhythmic without having any drums. And, and that's generally how I build it. And every song is totally different. Every sample is totally different. Um, but it's, it's literally like a, just a mess of me trying to mash stuff together until something clicks and then once I have that groove then I just you know build on that and at what point do you say this is finished this is ready to go I'm done with this well I think that's another thing that I need to work on like when I make beats I'll make I can make up to like 10-15 beats in a day if I have a day to just sit down and do it but when I say that it's gentle Sample chops, drums, bass, and maybe a synth, right? It's like the bare bones, and it's like an eight bar, 16 bar loop. It's like the bare bones, 
structure of the beat and um and generally a lot of times when i send that to an artist or when i start working on that for my project that's just the basic foundation and once vocals are cut or once the idea is sketched out or once it starts becoming more of a song i'll actually go back in and restructure the entire beat and i'll play things and i'll cut things and i'll filter things and i'll like rearrange the entire structure so the actual beat might sound 100% different by the time i'm done with the song than it did in the initial you know foundational 16 bar loop no doubt and as far as equipment goes from what i remember you you always had kind of a mix of mpc and online right there's always software um i have an mpd that i i use with reason but it's primarily acid pro reason and pro tools um but i recently just got ableton and i'm just beginning to figure that out because it's basically like acid on steroids for the most part <laughs> so but yeah it's pretty much all software still so you're feeling able to do you think that might be able to open some new doors for you in terms of the sounds that, that you do and, and what you like yeah definitely i mean the reason i stuck with acid so long is acid is an incredibly outdated program um but the reason i stuck with it so long is because i just know it inside and out and it really gives me the freedom to to chop things to like the tiniest level and to um really kind of arrange and manipulate things very easily and very intricately um and i hadn't found another program that allowed me to do it like that so until somebody suggested ableton this into it and it's from what i can tell so far it's it seems like the closest uh, program to ACID, except it's much more updated and there's much more you can do with it. Um, so that's kind of going to be the next step, I guess. And it's interesting too, because 12 years ago, if you were to say you're, you're all digital right now, you know, you would have been called an internet producer and you weren't yeah. real. And now it's like, if you're not doing that, it's like you're a dinosaur and what's yeah. wrong with you? So what do you think of the way that perception has shifted over the years? Because I don't know too many people that are just MPC at this point and just keyboards, yeah. but no, nothing digital. I mean, that's, it, it's, I mean, for me as a producer, I started on the computer. So I've, that's what I've always known. Um, but I understand that, again, being in that, that Fat Beats world, that Fat Beats mentality, I remember having conversations with dudes like, man, you use a computer, man, that's whack, yo. Like that, <laughs> like, I remember having those conversations with people. Um, and it's one of those things, it was the same thing. So like when Serato came out, right, you you saw this transition of people using vinyl into going, going into Serato and, and everybody, you know, on the vinyl side was like, yo, that's, and, you know, it doesn't sound the same, the computer feels different, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But nowadays, if you're a DJ and you're not using Serato, you're, you're, you're done, you know? Like, technology always wins. So, as far as people that are holding on to the analog sound, the analog equipment, like, I have, you know, if you can do it, do it. But it, there's just so many advantages to using the technology that's available to you that you're going to be left in the dust at some point. There's things that you're not going to be able to accomplish on analog equipment that you can accomplish on, on software and digital equipment. Definitely. And, you know, for years at this point, you know, 
there's been talk, you know, what's going on with the Brown Bag album? Is the Brown Bag All-Star album ever going to see the light of day? You know, I remember doing interviews with other other folks in BBAS saying, oh, it's, it's done. We just got to do this one mix on this song or this. You know, is that still a project? And at this point, is it something people still care about? Or is it so far out of, like, what everyone else has done that it's kind of like, like, like the way people talk about Chico and the Man with Tone Deaf or... Yeah. Detox and Dre. Um, it's <laughs> it's mad funny. Uh, we so we do we have pretty much two projects that are done. Um, a majority of the holdup is me. I'm gonna bear the the, the brunt of that. Um, it's it's basically uh, a bunch of mixes and a couple of little things that need to be done for it. It's. I can't say when it will come. There's no reason it shouldn't be out already. <laughs> but I can't say when it will come. Um, at least one of them should be coming very soon. Uh, I just can't give any specific details on when it's coming. But it's, and it's not even something that, when it drops, it's not even something that's going to sound dated. Like, like I said, like when we come together, it's a very specific chemistry and there's a very specific sound. And, you know, if you guys love the Q album, you're gonna like this project. You know, it's it's very much in that vein. Um, but it's it's coming at some point. <laughs> no doubt. And you know, it's interesting because you know, we talked about super underground albums and an album that definitely comes to mind as being super underground is the extended fam and their album Happy Fuck You songs. Um, you know, Tone Deaf, Session, Pack yeah. FM, Substantial. And, you know, I love that album. And in reconnecting with Tone Deaf and interviewing him for Polymer, one of the things that came up is, you know, man, I just wish that we had done Extended Fan more. Like, we, we did it as a way to promote all, all of us, and it was more of a promotional tool. And from what the fans have said over the years and, every, and the feedback he's gotten is, like, we should have just stuck with Extended Fan and kept that consistent instead of just saying we're doing this and now we're going to all do individual projects and then they never came yeah. back together. You know, at this point, EFAM is coming back together and they're working on an album now, but they really regret not making that a consistent offering to fans. You know, if, if you look at situations yeah. like that, are you ever nervous or feel like maybe we're going to regret not having Brown Bag All-Stars be more consistent as, as far as a group goes as opposed to everyone doing their own thing individually because individually you guys all are making moves and you've done great things but as a collective do you feel like you should be more consistent well that's the thing i think that's a big reason for the hold up on the group is that we have all been so active individually um and honestly when we when we formed the group we are all solo artists we came together because we happened to be in the same place at the same time and had similar sounds and styles and, and great chemistry. And it just kind of happened that way. Like we literally were just a bunch of friends that used to drink and make songs together for no reason. And it just kind of spiraled into a group. Um, so we had all kind of been solo artists before we were even in the group. We just happened to have great chemistry. So we kept working together. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, as far as like regret, I don't think there's any but at least in my mentality, it's like, we can always come back together. You know, there's no, it's not, to me, there's not a time limit on it. You know, the buzz isn't what it used to be, but it's not 
you know, there's always ways to build buzz. There's always ways to 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 get back out there. And if the music's good, the music's good. Period. You know, it doesn't. There's no time limit on good music. Um, so that's kind of my mentality with it. I don't know how everybody else feels, but that's kind of where I'm at. Gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense. And one of the things I definitely respect about you is you've always worked with up and coming artists who are pretty dope. You know, has Kingpin, Smooth. Um, Aaron Rose, just to name a couple of recent ones. You know, what do you look for in terms of new artists and up-and-coming artists that makes you say, I want to work with them versus, I think I'm going to take a pass on this one? Uh, honestly, I think it's just people that I like, that I think kind of fall in line with the, the traditions of the hip-hop that I love, um, that I actually think I would, that I mesh with sonically. You know, there's a lot of artists that I like that I can't work with, in my opinion, because I don't share a sound similar enough with them. Um, but when I do work with somebody, it's because they, A, they catch my ear because they're dope at what they do and they're they're working and they have their little movement. But B, it aligns with what I do. You know, I, I don't try to, to work with anything that's too far outside of my box because I, I feel like I would just ruin it at that point. Um, so a lot of those kids that I'm working with are just dudes that are dope that I I like and I support and you know I'd like to be a part of you know what they're working on so definitely and so what's next for Audible Doctor what projects do you have coming up I don't know man <laughs> um, I have like I have a bunch of stuff in the works um, I have no idea what's coming when uh so I don't want to say, I mean, the fall tape is coming at some point, even though it's like two years overdue. Um, this, uh, solo EP that I'm dropping. It's okay, man. Global, uh, global warming, man. You don't even have to worry about that. Like, yes, yeah, that's true. That's true. Seasons don't even exist anymore, so nope. we're all good. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're doing that. We, we're starting, I don't know if I'm supposed to let this out of the bag yet, but we're starting on uh, the second Black Coffee album Great. right now. Um, so that should be due out probably later this year. Um, I have an album with Archie Bang that's done, that's coming at some point. Uh, we have a brown bag project, like I said before, that should be coming soon. Um, I don't know, I got a lot of stuff in the works. That's awesome, man. It's always great to catch up with you. Definitely glad to hear you're doing a second project with Q Unique. And looking forward to that fall tape, whenever it drops, man. But <laughs> Definitely great interview man really appreciate your time on this yo thank you so much for reaching out man